0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Evan Heffernan. He's a longtime friend. Uh, we grew up sailing with him, uh, learned to kite with him, and now he is on to a full kite Olympic campaign. Uh, this is also our first in person podcast. So, the quality might be a little different. Hopefully, we can do a bunch more of these in the future because they're a lot more fun for us and everyone else. But without further ado, here is Evan Heffernan. We are live. <laughs> um, all right, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We have Evan Heffernan here. This is our first in-person podcast.
1: So... Welcome, Evan. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for
2: coming all the way out to the valley.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did a little... How was your foil surf sesh before this? Oh, it was nice. I didn't really gotten in the water in in a little while, so it was good to get in the water in a different way and kind of, I don't know, surf some waves.
0: How does foil surfing compare to race kiting?
1: Um... I don't know. I think in some ways it's probably pretty similar in like the sense of foiling and what you're doing with your feet and all that. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a lot different in the sense of like, I don't know, you're a lot more connected to the ocean and kind of just hanging out there. And it's a lot more pleasurable and <laughs> and I don't know, not stressful. <laughs> yeah. You're more out there for fun and and kiting for me is a lot more focused
0: Yeah, I definitely noticed that coming from the campaign. Um, Yeah, definitely coming from the campaign is—I don't know—the the the free free surf and free sailing is definitely more fun and enjoyable. I think we've talked about talked about that with Luke and Anna. Just I don't know. There's something fun about being at the peak and enjoying it, but then also—but now you got to work towards that
2: minute pump challenge. (laughs) (laughs) The pressure's back on. Yeah, different pressures though.
1: I think I don't know, I think it's definitely definitely fun to have the have the surfing and the the free time in the water and and the more focused stuff is is definitely rewarding when it when it comes together, but
2: yeah, definitely more rewarding and like there's definitely like an addiction to that competitive thing, but it's kind of I feel like it's good to have a balance
1: yeah, for sure I think that's something that probably didn't do well in the last year or so. I think I was very focused on just kiting. And I think the, the balance is where the happiness to it all comes and just focusing on getting quality practice time on the water and, and kind of focusing on one water sport can take that away. So it's definitely, definitely nice to hop in and get some free time.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, like you just came back from the worlds, right? So kind of looking towards like your next maybe year or I don't know how you like break up your training but like are you going to approach things a lot differently or are you going to kind of keep the same mindset or what does your training look like right now?
1: Yeah I mean I think the I think the mindset is still the same. Um, I think you know it's it's all about a lot of time on the water and and doing everything you can to make that as productive as possible whether it's the fitness and weight and all the variables to the competition side, but I definitely think, you know, stepping away from that, I think there will definitely be a bigger focus on on having a balance of, of both. Um, not necessarily having the total focus on on one thing, but being able to to go surfing or go paragliding or whatever it is to to get a little bit of knowledge about the foil or about the sail, and and bring that back a little bit to to the competitive side and the practice side.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, this is your so you just came back from the world championships and you hadn't done a major regatta for two years. So <laughs> like to to the date, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like now is a good time to kind of reevaluate your training, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. So to to get back to the, how I break it down, I think. You know, my, my training has really been broken down into each month, um, just from like a budgeting standpoint of how much can I focus on time on the water versus how much do I need to be working or focusing on something else? Um, so I think that's still where it's at, but definitely getting closer to being able to focus full time on, on the athletic side of it and, and get away from work, um, but yeah, I think for right now the, the focus is on having fun and, and putting weight on and working out a lot and getting a lot more physically competitive. Um, I think there's big gains to be made there for, so, for me at least. What is
0: the, the weight thing?
1: Yeah, um, I think the, the heavier you are, the more you can hold your, your kite in the racing scene um and that equates to a little bit more comfort at the high end um and yeah i think the that i'm pretty light relative to the rest of the fleet but also riding similar gear so i think you know i either i need to be set up on on different gear or kind of be closer to 195 in terms of weight
2: So like kind of, so you've kind of been around other campaigns, I feel like, like a lot of your life, like kind of had friends in like 40, 100 campaigns and knacker campaigns, kind of, what have you kind of learned from those that you're kind of taking into your campaign? Like what kind of advantage do you have from seeing those other styles?
1: Um, I think there's probably a lot that I've absorbed that also I probably don't necessarily No. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, I think the people, at least in the U.S., talk about campaigning as this kind of untangible thing. It's like this, oh, it's really hard to do and blah, 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 versus Mm. kind of just understanding the simpler side of it, like what you need to do and and how to get there. Um, I think for me, by watching other campaigns, I know what a good – learning culture looks like and I know what a good team looks like. Um, and I think that's kind of the biggest takeaways from those those campaigns. Um, and it's nice to have those contacts to be able to ask questions and learn about fundraising and all that. But I think in the grand scheme of it, things, it's it's the learning culture and, and making making an environment that's going to be productive as possible.
2: Yeah, I feel like on the technical side, like, kiting is such, like, uncharted waters right now that it's, like, hard to take too much from other people's campaigns. But kind of jumping back to the Worlds a little bit, like, how how do you think Worlds went? Like, what did you learn? <laughs> how, uh, what is your kind of takeaways from it? Or tell us about it a little bit.
1: You know, from from a performance standpoint, and especially early on in a quad, you try to not look at the performance standpoint. But from a performance standpoint it was pretty poor for me. Um, but from an overall standpoint, I think it was, it was really good to see where the level's at, see the variety of equipment. Um, we hadn't yet had an event where people were racing on, you know, a large range of equipment in the U S people are mostly riding the same gear. Um, like when you say poor, like that results based or is that other, other based, like
2: in your own performance kind of thing?
1: Um, And it, when I, I guess when I say performance, I'm talking to what most people would look at performance as. And so results. Right. Um, but in terms of personal performance and what I did well and what I did poorly, I think, you know, what I had been working on for the last year had been boat handling. And I felt like my boat handling was extremely strong. Um, I felt like my starting, my tactics was extremely strong and, not necessarily the the letdown in the racing, which was great to see. Um but definitely the the focus of on speed um was not was not there. And I'd be able to get, get through the first beat of the race pretty strongly. Um but continuing on after that I'd kinda get swallowed up by by the rest of the riders. Um I mean that seems like encouraging though like that the things you're
2: working on, like you're seeing improvement and the things you haven't been working on, like that's your weakness. Like that for sure is pretty, pretty straightforward. (laughs) Like I think that's the, like the campaign life is like, you don't have a peak event, every event, like you plan that out and like, obviously you don't need to perform at all until you really put that mark on your calendar.
1: Yeah. I think, I think totally that can be encouraging. And I think that's, that's maybe something that, you know, I haven't fully put together yet. Um, and sometimes takes another perspective to put together. Um, and that's another thing that I kind of looking for in this new year is to try and get more coaching perspectives and more input from different places to kind of see what what people think. But yeah, I think, you know, definitely encouraging that what I've been working on, I did well in, but also, you know, it's it's a long way to go to get that much faster. So it's also you know, trying to figure out how to how to get that much faster and be, be fighting for the top, not necessarily just being fighting to qualify for gold or qualify for the semis.
0: Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, in sailing, there's always a limit to how fast you can go, you know? So it's, with the Olympic year all being uh, frozen for four years, right? Like, there should be a limit to how fast everything can go, right? So in theory, you should be able to catch up. On <laughs> yeah, speed. for
1: sure. I think, I think the fast people are, are going to be plateauing here shortly and, and people are definitely going to catch up. Um, yeah. and you know, I think one of the reasons you don't focus on speed early on is that other people are going to figure it out for you and let that be an advantage for you while you're focusing on the smaller details of of the foundational stuff that might be harder to pick up later on once you have habits in place yeah
2: I feel like the learning curve is definitely like leveling off at kind of your level of kiting and like that I feel like that that could be frustrating but maybe I feel like if anyone I feel like you've always kind of been a person that's like breaks everything down and like looks at it individually and like is kind of good at learning things so I feel like it definitely might get harder now but uh it's definitely, like, part of your strengths. I feel like we've always kind of, to, to throw it back a little bit, like, we've always kind of been, like, learning things at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, like, looking through, like, growing up in Santa Barbara and, like, learning how to kite at the same time. And, like, we were talking today, like, our most viewed, like, YouTube videos, like, you learn how to, like, surf, <laughs> surf pump or, like, pump, dock pump. Fail, or whatever you call fail, it. <laughs> fail, fail, fail. So I feel like that's been, like, an example where, like, the learning curve is, like, super steep. And then now you're, like, oh, like, I've got to spend six months and make, like, a tiny improvement, so.
1: Yeah, so to... To go back to that a little bit, I think, you know, right before Worlds was, was when I switched my focus to to speed, and right before that, for sure, my my boat handling learning curve was, like, noticeably in practice, With you know, your practices get, it feels worse and worse because you know you're not getting that much out of it, um, and you start to work on kind of more random boat handling, um, random kind of rounding the mark, weird moves that you wouldn't necessarily do all the time, but something to keep the learning curve steep. But yeah, I mean, right before Worlds, I, I switched the focus to to speed and, and that was definitely really refreshing in terms of on the water practice. Um, it's a completely different kind of outlook on, on what you're doing and a lot more of experimenting. So I'm definitely looking forward to kind of that new learning curve and, and what that might have entail in terms of equipment and and testing and all that
0: yeah so you mentioned the the like learning culture and how do you think like i mean the, the the u.s sailing team or like pretty much around the world everyone's developing kite programs like how do you think the u.s sailing is kind of doing and is there a good learning culture and campaign culture because i mean for a lot of kiters they come from like for example, I mean, Kai Calder's a really good kiter, but he doesn't come from a sailing background. Like, his dad's really good, but he came from, I think he came from freestyle, and then he was like, oh, kiting's cool, I'm going to learn to kite. You know, so I feel like kiting, there's a lot of different backgrounds that come in, but, like, how does that kind of factor in, like, a learning environment?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, right now in the U.S., I think our, our learning environment is you know, a, a five out of 10, you know, it's, it's better than probably other classes in the U S because we're all working together to some extent and training together and getting to the same place and, and working with a coach. Um, but from, you know, the, the background that we had in, in youth sailing all together or, um, high school sailing, whatever it was, I think there's definitely a lot that we can improve and, do a lot more efficiently, and that's that's something I'm hoping to to see change very quickly here and, and start to happen, um, but it's going to be hard to make that happen because we've been training this way for a year now, and it's going to take, a, I think, a bigger change to actually have, have that come into place. Um, but, you know, simple things like think about how many times when we were learning to kite we switched equipment, switched boards, switched kites, whatever it is. you know. I think I could count the number of times that's happened in the last year. Um, on the team? On the, within the, the little kiting squad.
0: And how many are you guys?
1: There's, there's probably around 15 that kind of bounce in and out. And there's probably five or six kind of core people that are always there. Um, but definitely, definitely a good group and a lot of people come from different backgrounds, which I think we could leverage a lot more, um, use people for, for what they're good at, but definitely the, the team dynamic and kind of, um, I don't know, the ability to to make it every day on the water as productive as possible can definitely go up.
2: What do you think like other countries are doing or like, have you looked at other countries at all? Like what? I guess. Yeah. Have you looked at other countries? <laughs> <laughs> From your two year your absence. Like that. I know like when I mean, you look at the Olympics and it's like great Britain, it like comes out and the every medal and sailing and you, you have to look at that and be like, why did that happen? And like, now you're like, I don't, I don't know exactly but like, I know like French team, like kiters are like
1: really good. You know, I, th- I think from looking at other countries, I think a few other countries have done group training really well and consistently, and I don't think they necessarily have the best learning culture. I don't know because I haven't really been involved in that, but I don't think they need to because of how often they're sailing. They're sailing a lot more than we're sailing, and they're constantly with the same group, the same coach um, which leads to a lot of repetitions, which means you don't have to necessarily be as efficient to learn. Um, but that doesn't mean that we couldn't do it more efficiently here in the States and, and practice just as much and kind of get up that learning curve a lot faster.
2: What do you think? Like we were talking to Connor Bainbridge a little bit about this and like he's had it. Pretty big influence on like all three of our kiting careers, I think. <laughs> For sure. Um, and he was kind of talking about the percentage between like tuning and training, like on the water. Um, and mm. he's kind of his sounds like he sounds like he's doing the most percentage tuning and compared to training, like on the water compared to other people. But how are you kind of? What do you think your percentage would be, and do you think it's the right one?
1: Yeah. So coming into focusing on speed, you know, I think. I've not focused much on... When he talks about tuning, is he talking about tuning equipment or tuning of, like, kind of tuning relative to people?
2: I think, like, equipment, like sitting on the beach and right. tuning your bridle kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so I think, I think that can definitely be a time hog. Um, but it's very important to know what your gear is capable of. But in order to do it well, you need to have all the equipment all at a relatively new or brand new state, and you need to have a similar rider with you. And I think that's something I want to try to put together for the next little bit is find someone who who can be a similar rider to me and spend a month focusing on, Okay, here's brand new equipment from every single brand. Let's figure out what's fast, and then let's figure out how to tune it. Um, but I think in terms of spending your time in a day-to-day sense, focusing on that, I think the sport is too much of a feel sport relative to you know a laser or a, a fin to go back to Luke Muller's podcast or a, a 49er or whatever it is. Um, I feel like there's so much more feel involved because there's so much more three dimensional moving parts going on that it's a little bit harder to focus on the feel and put that much time into it and feel like you're actually getting a return out of it. So
0: you talk about coaching is a lot as well. Like, do you think you need a kite specific coach and a regatta coach, or do you think like?
1: Yeah, I think I think you need both and i think you need other things too um to jump, then,
2: hold on to jump back to like your point before you leave it, like when you say feel like does that mean you like don't have like a uh what do you call it like a controlled environment kind of thing like there's too yeah exactly things.
1: i think it's too easy to have you know yesterday's practice feel completely different than today's practice and not necessarily be able to nail that down to equipment um, and that could lead you down a rabbit hole of where, okay, today I right. felt really good and I changed this. Let's now focus on that. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes I sense. think it's, it's hard to have the right kind of repetition of proving that something worked in the kites because it's so easy to sail into different, right. It's hard to nail down what it would actually be that you feel yeah. different. I mean think about think about two boats lining up. you know they're probably spaced out a couple meters. When two kites line up, you're spaced out fifteen meters at least you know you're just, you could be in completely different wind, and yeah. figuring out how to tune and be in the right venue and have consistent breeze day to day and to be able to repeat that process I think is important, but I think to spend a lot of time focusing on that is also. Challenging,
2: yeah. I also feel like it's so hard to change things like quickly in like a t- tuning of like a kite, you know, like when you're in a 4 er or something, you can be like, Oh, this boat to windward, you could put a little more vang on, and then you'd reline up again like immediately. Um, but like, completely different when you're like going in and tuning your bridles and coming back out like a half an hour later or something, totally.
1: And in that time that you go in for 30 minutes to change your bridles, you could come back out and your stance could be, you know, yeah. two degrees off and how high your yeah. butt is or off the like water. the water and could com- be a little different or something. Yeah, like the wind and completely change the, change the feel. You know, current can change, wind can change very quickly. It's, it's, it's a, it's definitely a challenging boat to focus on tuning because of the tools you're playing with.
0: Okay, you can talk about back coaching to- <laughs> now. <Back> to coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the question or?
1: Yeah. <laughs> What kind of coaches yeah. do we need
0: kite specific or otherwise
1: yeah, um I think you know, like I said a little bit ago, I think multiple perspectives is is really important um, I think to focus on speed since that's the year I'm going into here, I think somebody who definitely has ridden race equipment is very important. somebody who understands the numbers or what we're talking about is really important. Um, and someone who can kind of take in all that information and start to not necessarily draw conclusions, but, you know, keep those thoughts in the back of their head so that as, as you go through a week and the next week of practice, the coach can kind of pull up those ideas that might've come up a week ago to refresh the rider if they think it's important. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, a a regatta-specific coach is important. A kite-specific coach is important. I think also having experts that can come in and tell you about their side of things. You know, maybe a paragliding racer, um, they tune their paragliders just as we tune our kites. So, you know, they've been doing it a lot longer than we have. So maybe they know a lot more. Um, You know, maybe... An America's Cup foil expert. Um, they've been working on foils, sanding foils for way longer than we have. Um, so definitely, it's good to, to try to get those perspectives, and I think that's going to be the key to to getting up to speed and and maybe getting a little above speed. Because I don't think that other people are necessarily taking as many perspectives as they can.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned uh briefly about like using technology for it like what are you guys using what if you could use anything like what would you use
1: I think again with that stuff I would I would want to refer to an expert I would want to refer to you know a a Maxi program or a TP52 program that has been doing it for a while to that really understands when they're in a good mode and and how they record all that information to to get it correctly um, i think vacaroses and and Sailmons could be great devices for us because they're small and record a lot of data um, our board is moving in so many directions that the three-dimensionality of it and the kind of gyroscopic data is going to be really important um, but yeah i think i personally would like to refer to someone else yeah you know, i think i think as the athlete the more you can take other people's perspectives and and use what they've learned the better off you're going to be as opposed to trying to design your own systems yeah i, I definitely think
0: that's, that's um very true especially like in a campaign because like a lot of people come from youth sailing and they have coaches that are good like day coaches which i think um, <clears throat> I think Willie McBride is like a really good day coach because he has so much information to give um, but I just like sometimes I think like I couldn't deal with Willie for an entire like four year quad because he just gives so much information where like uh, my 49 coach Mark Asquith doesn't give you a lot day to day but like for four years he like puts it together so every day you're learning a little bit at a time and I think like of what you're mentioning like with technology i think that could also be like you come in you learn a bunch about technology for one day and then you move on to the next thing you know yeah
1: let them let them give you the process and then use it and use it over and over yeah and let your your long-term coach understand that process and take control of that process so you can focus on on your sailing um i think to to talk about a little bit what you talked about with with Willie and who is it? Mark. 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 Um, I think part of that is also the psychology, you know, I think having a coach that understands the mental game, I think is also really important. Um, and I think it's a part of the game that's pretty underestimated. Right. Um, so having a coach that knows the right time to, to say the right thing, is super important. You know, it's saying, you know, don't tack there is, is completely different than saying, I don't know, right. negatives versus positives. The, the mental cues can completely right. change the way you think.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure that each of those coaches change depending on if they're coaching you for two days or for the, exactly. four years. I also yeah. feel like
2: there's a huge difference between like practice coaching and like regatta coaching. Um, and I feel like someone that can, I think what the approach you're having that you're like, not going to take one person to do every job like the, the more you can like delegate jobs like the more that be- like the better information you can get which seems pretty smart yeah and
1: i mean this is the ideal situation yeah. and it's hard to do that um i think the fundraising side of things and and being in a place where you can get those different perspectives is is a whole nother ball game yeah but i think it's good to know what you want so that when you know someone comes along and does ask hey how can i how can i change this or how could we change our coaching program you're you're prepared with the right the yeah. right answers i also feel like
2: just the way you, like if you're thinking about this stuff then when you do have a day with one person then like the way that you use them to can like change a lot you know um you can't just like wait and like be like oh coach me for a day you know like, the, <laughs> way that, the way that you kind of use those people or matters a lot i think yeah and sure. what
0: like just to jump back to like the, I think our first conversation about campaign, like, what do you think the, the toughest part of, uh, doing a campaign is? Cause I, I think we joked a little bit with, uh, Anna or Luke, I can't remember, but it was like the hardest, like you don't really start a campaign until you start telling people that you're doing a campaign, <laughs> you know, like there's no like real start or end date or.
1: Yeah. I, that, that part's definitely interesting. You know, it's like it's a random start date and it's a kind of vague end date for most people, it seems. Um, but yeah, I I don't think that kind of like announcing it or saying you know this is my goal was necessarily the hardest part. Um, I think I was I was lucky with with the coaching I grew up with um, and kind of knew how to set goals and was very confident in in what goals I would set. Um, so saying, Hey, I'm, I'm doing a campaign or announcing that wasn't, wasn't necessarily a, a challenging thing. Um, but I think, you know, right now, I think the time management and balance is probably the hardest part, but I hope that, you know, in and the coming little bit that, that changes and, and it's more focused on the time management of, on the water time versus gym time versus debrief time, right? And... But to to conclude that, I think <laughs> through the whole campaign, time management is going to be probably the hardest yeah. hardest aspect.
0: And you also mentioned that you are working right now. Like, what? Where do you work? And kind of how?
1: Yeah, I, I work remotely doing app development um, for a small tech company that's based in um, Oxnard here, but. Um, I also do my own kind of projects to help sustain me. Um, and then I'm also obviously trying to fundraise for, for the campaign. Nice.
0: So I think, um, jumping way, way back, like was your goal to be an Olympic sailor when you were younger or did this kind of just slowly happen? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, I, I think that's, it's, it's probably one of the most interesting questions like that you get. Um, because, you know, it's very easy to say, yeah, like from when I was a little kid, I always wanted to be an Olympian. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, for me, it, it probably was a slow evolution. Um, I, I did a little bit of sailing when I was extremely little and then went off to play water polo and, you know, watched many water polo players from the UCSB team Um, and coach who was the Olympic coach and won multiple gold medals for the US. And my mom worked on the Olympics all my life. She's done sports production um, for NBC for a while. So the Olympics has kind of always been there in some sense. Um, And then after water pool, I came back to sailing and did a little bit of, like, junior sailing and and never really knew that sailing was in the Olympics. (laughs) Um, But then in in one of our debriefs one day, we we were watching um, a video of Oracle for, I think it was the 34th America's Cup or something, in the lead-up when they first started foiling. And I was like, whoa, that is crazy. Um, And during that debrief, I... I kind of learned that sailing was in the Olympics um, and that, you know, there's kind of this pathway between youth sailing to Olympic development to campaigning to the Olympics, to the America's cup. And, and I kind of learned that pathway and stumbled into it in a sense. Um, But yeah, I think, I think the Olympics has always kind of been on the back of my mind to an, an extent. Um, but in the form and fashion, you know, you never, you never really know until you get there.
0: Yeah. I think, um, or for your like youth sailing, was it always like more enjoyment or more competitive or like, I know you've been around the youth program for a while, but like,
1: yeah, I think, I think there were two sides of my youth sailing. I think like the, the skiff side, the 29er side was. A great group of people um, and it was enjoyable and, and fun and competitive at times but also it was just kind of way more fun. Um, high school sailing was definitely always a competitive environment for me. I felt like every time I went on the water with my team or, or with the San River Youth Sailing Foundation it was like a competitive mentality like I want to win every drill here I want to I want to be competitive and i think that comes to like the the boats we were sailing at the time like fjs are are slow and tactical and a lot more kind of of a game um, and i really liked to play that game and i think part of that game is is the psychology part and then the the 29ers i feel like it was just a you know a, a great group of people from all over california and and we would definitely get competitive, but it was kind of more enjoyable, and and those events were often linked to uh, going surfing or or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, the more the more fun group. Sure.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when did you? Uh, when when was your first kiting
1: experience? Man. Um. Honestly, I don't know. I feel like. You know, I I borrowed trainer kites from you guys probably from Jamie Deerdorf a lot. Um, I don't know what you know like the first time on a kite probably was. Um, I have a do story. you? <laughs> no. Yeah, filming me in. I, I think I was probably there your first time. Maybe uh, I, no, think, I, I think I think <laughs> I think for sure you guys were there or you guys you, heard about it. I
2: think you. Uh, I think you actually went kiting before like we were we like hung out with you a bunch but and then then you like kind of took a break because I remember you like foiled way before us yeah and then you like and then we got into foiling and you like didn't foil at all (laughs) and then you like got into after (laughs) but I have a I remember like after you when you were kind of like learning how to kite we were I remember you would like drive to Ojai and like pick me up before I had a driver's license and we we went to like Ventura Point yeah and I remember like we I think we had two kites at that time or something or we'd like trade off or something. I remember you like crash or pad on the beach or like dragging <laughs> on the beach and stuff. And this old like grumpy kiter, like how they are, he was like yelling at he was like, What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And then you like turn around and you're like, I'm trying to learn how to kite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember that pretty clearly. Oh my god, that's awesome. And I was like, Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> what does it look like I'm doing? <laughs> How yeah, I come. think <laughs>
1: – that's awesome. Um I think that's so interesting because I think there's definitely within the kiting community, like, two groups of, of people. There's, like, the people that are there that are really helpful and enjoying it. Want to make sure everybody's safe, of course, but, like, you know, like, trying to help as much as possible. And then there's there's always – the grumpy random person you know and i guess that's in whatever you do but that's hilarious that's a
2: great yeah. story no i mean i think the the learning to kite process is like such a long process and like it's hard to like nail down a time. like oh this is the day i learned how to kite it's yeah like, no it's like years of <laughs> like this is like I mean, like being at the gorge when we were like learning how to foil and like all that stuff there's like so much but. totally
0: yeah yeah that was actually i think like uh i think However many years it was, but it was today. I got like a Snapchat memory. No way. Yeah, <laughs> at the gorge. Yeah, of you like riding that the, uh old green white comet board and like some Moses foil
1: and like yeah with your ten meter yeah with the tube pipes. Pipes. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the coolest thing about all of that is like, you know, you look back at all these photos and again the amount of like gear that was not mine that i was writing (laughs) or whatever it is like that's kind of the the learning aspect and the learning dynamic or culture i guess is the right word um that you need in order to to excel at anything yeah and i think you know we definitely had that early on um and that's something that definitely want to get back in the olympic side of things
0: yeah
2: that community in santa barbara is like so like tight and you can like kind of yeah. borrow anything and stuff and and like you talk about that i think that's something i've kind of learned from like even the surf oil, like uh community like uh you kind of i haven't run into like a grumpy surf yet but i feel like <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> i mean like there yeah there, there's always there's like a lot of grumpy surfers and and some grumpy cutters
0: right maybe, maybe yeah. it's going in the right direction maybe
1: maybe the guy that was yelling at me in ventura was a grumpy surfer yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: i feel like the more obscure your sport is the more nice people there are in it or maybe it's just the percentage of people
2: that right. in like 10 years from now when everyone's still falling in there'll be a few grumpy people. Out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure um but to get to your wipeouts i think you've had Quite some interesting uh kite foil wipeouts even when you were good do you have any i have a couple but yeah tell me well just your uh <laughs> favorite Python. the Aarhus launch one. Oh my gosh and then you don't
1: remember this the french coach what's her name i just remember um, nico like
2: breaking his hip right before i had to go out and i was just... <laughs> <laughs> nico landauer yeah yeah, yeah
1: that, that was, was scary the
0: sketchiest launch
1: ever. yeah so right after that i think or a, a few races after that, um, I came off the line. I think I basically was, like, winning the boat. <laughs> I <never know. laughs> Yeah, and it was windy, um, and, I mean, we were new. It was my first event, and, I mean, I, I had a really good acceleration. I dropped my kite quickly, and, and when you drop your kite quickly, it's pretty powerful, and I remember sailing into a puff, and I had Nico Parlier right below me and like at the time he was the god of of kite foiling you know he had won multiple back-to-back world championships probably won that world championships too um I don't know but <laughs> sure, <laughs> anyway sure. sail into this puff and just start getting pulled off my line and if you've ever been pulled off your line you know how terrible a feeling it is you're just like pushing as hard as you can to try and keep your angle and slowly just get dragged away slower and lower and more and more powered up and I'm basically getting dragged right into Nico um so instead of just body slamming him <laughs> I I put my kite up and in the process of putting my kite up I just get launched like I don't know 15 20 meters in the air and there's this video of the entire fleet going upwind, and then all of a sudden, there's just a, a guy flying above the <laughs> yeah, entire definitely fleet. Definitely meters, not feet.
2: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember from that. I don't, I don't think I saw. I don't. I was probably like in a different fleet or a different set or something. But maybe I was in. I don't. I don't know. But uh, later that day, when we were at like the uh, the lounge area for like the U.S. like Olympic team and like all the other sailors were there, like all the other classes and that they, somebody pulled up the video. I forget. Dane pulled it up, plugged it into into the TV, air dropped it to the screen or whatever, airplane it to the screen and and watched it. It was
0: pretty
1: funny. Yeah. They loved it.
0: Yeah. Um, how, how, uh, were there many bad accidents at the most recent worlds or was it pretty like as, as people push harder then maybe there's bigger wipeouts or is the fleet gotten pretty good?
1: um, Honestly, there, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of racing, um, unfortunately. So to that extent, we didn't see probably as many tangles as you normally would see. Um, before the event, there was a pretty bad accident with, uh, Tiger Tyson from Antigua. He, he basically got, was going into the top mark, not really sure what happened, um, but two guys went flying, and they body-slammed in the air. Um, and luckily, our coach, Charlie, was, was hanging out at the top mark watching roundings um, and was there to to pull him up on his boat and, and make sure he was all good. Um, he ended up having some shoulder issues and not being able to sail the event, but maybe a minor concussion. Um, but, yeah, it's – I think – I think it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next little bit. You know, I think there's a lot of footage of, of European events where people are, there's like 10 guys sending it on a, on a port tax start and cause a huge pileup and they all get away with it. Um, because of the, the way that rules are written on, on tangles and redress. But I think, I don't know, hopefully it, as people get better, it gets less and less, but also as people get better, it's going to get tighter <laughs> and tighter at, at every single mark. Do so. you think there's a, we'll see.
2: a big like edge that you have from not being scared or like, do you ever get scared and realize like you have to, you like slow down or something? Cause even when you're just kiting by yourself, like the speeds that you're going downwind are like enough to make you think about it at least.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know who said this. It might've been one of you guys. But We can take credit. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what I've said yet. (laughs) Um, When you're going full speed downwind, you know, you're going what? I don't know, call it 30 knots. You go 31, eh, it's not that big of a difference. You go 32 to 31, okay, whatever. So I think for some extent you know the mentality is like you know you push a little bit harder you're only going a little bit faster Hmm. your crash isn't going to be that much worse um which you think about it and all right maybe that's not true (laughs) 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 but i think in terms of racing um i think one skill i have that probably comes from high school sailing is seeing something that's going to go wrong pretty early on before anything happens or anything looks like it's going to happen to most people. Um, and that's kind of when you can back off and, and find your exit strategy. Like jumping over Nico. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe not so much in that sense, but the best option. Yeah, no, yeah,
2: I know. Totally. I think
1: I, I always think of it as like, all right, you're, you're going 80 miles an hour on a, on a highway um, and, you know, you always want to have your exit. If you're in the left lane, you know, you have less exits than if you're in the center lane, um, or whatever it may be. But I think as, as you're going around the race course, you're, you're definitely aware of where people are. And, and, you know, if the guy right in front of you messes up, you know, kind of where your escape is. And that's literally a, a quote from probably one of the first films you guys made of, of kiting, where I'm saying, oh. <laughs> you know, you're you're trusting the guy that's right in front of you, uh, and you're trusting the guy that's, <laughs> that's rounding we'll right behind you. Because if you mess up, right. they're the ones that's deciding whether you get run over.
2: That is a direct <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thin blue line. Look it up. We'll uh, put the link in the <laughs> <laughs> link in the show note description. You'll we'll have up. to put
2: the wipeout video uh,
1: yeah. out there. So oh yeah, the, the and uh, that one for sure. <laughs>
0: cool well i think we are out of time here um where can people follow your campaign
1: yeah um all my campaign information is at evanheffernan.com um you can also follow me on instagram evanheffernan26 and it's all linked there as well those are probably the easiest easiest routes for sure cool
2: go get some e swag <laughs> yeah for sure I got sounds your
1: guys good. hoodies sounds Good. sounds good yeah. cool thank you thank guys you. for having me yeah, yeah.
0: of course thanks Evan cheers thank you for listening to Believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube